Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Gary Kent. Let's just bow our heads, ask the Lord to be with us again. Dear Heavenly Father, be with us today, Lord, as we spend some time studying your word. We invite your presence to be here with us in a very special way. Be with each person present, dear Lord, I pray. Father, you know all about us. You know the challenges we are facing in life as we go into this new year. I pray, Father, that you will give each one of us here today hope, comfort, and assurance. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there anybody here who has never traveled on an aeroplane? Okay, one. All right. You know, traveling on an aeroplane today is almost like traveling on a bus a generation ago. Uh, Virtually everyone has traveled on an aeroplane. But it's a reminder of how our world has changed in the last generation. When I was traveling on a plane in the United States just a, a week ago, I read some very fascinating, for me it was fascinating anyhow, uh, information. In 1929, a one-way air ticket across the United States cost $338. Now, that sounds pretty reasonable. It's not much different from that today, except that in 1929, $338, oops, was more than half the price of buying a new car. So not many people travelled by plane. But today, just go down to the airport and see how many people are travelling by plane. Nobody wants to spend 10 hours driving to Brisbane or 12 hours, whatever it is. Get on a plane, you can be there in just over an hour. And how much does it cost? I mean, I see them advertising uh, 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 airfares to, to Brisbane for about $59 if you get in early enough. Isn't that amazing? Air travel. And and the way airlines operate. Uh, I was traveling with Qantas to America and so the the partner airline uh, in America is American Airlines. And so when I jumped on an American Airlines flight to go up to, to Idaho, I read this. American Airlines saved $40,000 in 1987 just by removing one olive from each salad served in their first class. (laughs) $40,000 took out one olive uh, from the the first class uh, salad. You know, friends, travel, air travel in particular, has just revolutionized the way that we live. It's changed the way, not just that we travel, but it's changed the way we live. Did you know that the travel industry and and those associated with it have now become the largest industry in the world? The biggest in the world. 
Just look at these facts about the United States alone. Travel and tourism generates a total of 1.8 trillion in economic output in the United States each year. 1.8 trillion. You know, we, we can't even begin to imagine how much money that is, but if one dollar bill equaled a second of time, then 1.8 trillion would equal more than 56,000 years. Travel and tourism in the United States of America generates 118 billion in tax alone. In revenue each year. How much is that? Well, if you place 118 billion $1 bills end to end, they would circle the world 458 times. Friends, travel and tourism supports 14.1 million jobs in the United States of America alone. Travel, sitting on a plane, direct travel generated payroll totals $188 billion each year. Do you know that one out of every nine American jobs is dependent upon travel and tourism? One in nine. Direct spending by resident and international travelers in the United States average $2 billion a day. That's $88 million an hour. That's $1.4 million a minute. That's $24,000 every second. Travel, sitting on a plane, big business, big business big business. Do you know that last year there were over 1 billion international tourist arrivals worldwide? Big business. Now, sitting on a plane, nearly every one of you here have experienced it. What happens when you get on a plane? Well, I'll tell you, let me tell you, for me, The most important thing after I've worked out where I'm seated, usually in cattle class, in economy there, so I'm always overweight. When I travel, I'm always overweight. So I try to carry on to the plane as much as I possibly can. And you know, I try to act as if my my luggage is very light. And so I'm, I'm struggling and smiling at the same time. So when I get on a plane, the first thing I want to do is get my luggage up above, you know, in the, in the luggage rack there. So that's the first thing I do. I race down, I get on as quick, as early as I can, so I can get my luggage out of the way because it's so heavy. But then what happens next? You know what happens next? I was watching on the way back on, on Wednesday... People wanted to find out what movie was on the fl- what movies they could watch on the plane. And then after they found that out, they are busy checking through the entertainment guide on the plane. Up gets the poor hostess or steward, and they begin to explain what to do in case of emergency. Isn't that right? It's always the same, but let me, tell, let me ask you this. Do you ever pay any attention? 
Do you? You know, I, I began to think it through. I never pay any attention. And I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed to admit that. And I was looking around at everybody else and here the poor hostess was giving a wonderful uh, display of what to do in case of emergency and no one was even looking at her, paying any attention. They were all wanting to work out what movie they were going to watch. You know, you're supposed to work out, you're supposed to count how many rows to the emergency exit, isn't that right? So they'll tell you there's an emergency exit there, there's another one down there. And you're supposed, exactly, they give the whole thing, you've got it. You've been paying attention. But the idea is that you pay attention to work out just what to do in case of emergency. Do you know what to do? Do you know where the oxygen mask comes from? Do you know how to attach it? Do you know where your, your uh, life jacket is? Do you know how to put it on? Do you know how to inflate it? Because you see, if you get it wrong and you inflate your, your jacket... Before, yeah, before you, can you imagine all of a sudden there's not enough room for everybody on the plane because everybody's bigger than they should be. So I was watching how many people pay attention to what needs to be done in an emergency because let's face it, none of us ever expect to be in an emergency on an airline. I want to tell you today about a man who was in an emergency on an airline. I just read his story now on the way back. His name was Norman Williams. He caught a flight in Los Angeles across to New York. From New York, they were on their way to Europe. But back when this happened they usually had a stopover in the Canary Islands. And so his jumbo, a Pan Am jumbo, came into land at Las Palmas in the, in the Canary Islands. But there were so many jumbos already there that their flight was diverted 50 miles away to Tenerife or Tenerife. And when he landed, there were six other jumbos there already waiting to restock, resupply, fly back to Las Palmas and on to, uh, and on to, and on to Europe. They were all impatient. They wanted to get to their destination. At this time, they were given instructions from the control tower to taxi down the runway to prepare for takeoff. Ahead of them was a KLM jumbo, Dutch jumbo. The Dutch jumbo travelled down. As they were travelling down, Norman looked out the window and he saw behind the runway there was a 12,000 foot, what's that, about 4,000 metre volcano. And it was covered in cloud. And as he watched, this cloud came down over the, 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 the crater, over the side of the, of the volcano and engulfed the runway so nobody could see. The tower had no ground radar. 
You're beginning to imagine what's going to take place here. So, the KLM, the KLM jumbo's gone down the runway, turned around, he's ready to, 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 to take off. The Pan Am jumbo that's following has to pull into a, like a little siding while the, the KLM jumbo takes off. They can't see. Before the Pan Am jumbo can get into the, into the, the waiting bay, he sees the KLM jumbo coming at him, coming towards him, planning to take off. So here is this 747 now traveling at over 200 kilometers an hour. When the KLM pilot sees the Pan Am, who by now had managed to get side on, trying to get out of the way, he tried to get his jumbo, his KLM jumbo, up over the Pan Am, but he didn't make it. So can you imagine this massive plane traveling at over 200 kilometers an hour, plows in to the middle of the Pan Am Jumbo, who's now side on. Friends, it was the worst airline disaster in history, even to this day. Two Jumbos packed with people involved in the collision and they'd refueled so all that air fuel Bang! 576 people died. Not one survivor on the KLM. Not one survivor. 67 survived. Norman Williams was one who survived. Why was I interested in his story? I was interested because he's a Christian. <clears throat> and he began in, his, in, the, in the article to explain what it was like to be there in an inferno. He was traveling with a business partner who was right in the row in front of him. By the way, he tried to change seats so that he could sit next to his business partner so they could prepare for their meetings in, in their business meetings in Europe. But the Pan Am people wouldn't change their, their seating. There was a, um, a, a crippled lady near him who had been helping right through the flight. And so he jumped up. You can imagine there was fire, smoke, explosions everywhere. He looked for his, uh, his partner. His partner was already burned beyond recognition. The same with the lady beside him uh, uh, that he'd been helping, the, the crippled lady, the, the disabled lady. And he began to wonder, well, what do I do here? How do I, what? And then he began to explain. His mother, before he left Los Angeles, took him aside and had prayer for him, like she always did. And he said it was that 
prayer that came back to mind as he was there in this inferno with people screaming, dying, being burnt to death all around him. You know, I meet people who say to me, look, I know what the Bible teaches. When I see the signs all being fulfilled, and I see the Sunday law being implemented, enforced, then I've got time. I'll make my commitment then. I'm not ready to meet the Lord now, but that's okay. When the time comes, I'll be ready. I'll be ready then. I'm going to read to you what Norman said because all this was happening in his head. Am I ready to meet God? What what should I do? Should I get down on my knees now? This is what he said. During such a crisis, one has no time to pray a sinner's prayer of repentance. You're not even thinking about it. All you think about is what? Survival. How am I going to survive this? There isn't even time for a Christian to rededicate his life to Jesus. There is only time to survive or not to survive, to live or die. That's it. No time to think about, oh Lord, now I'm going to give my life to you. Now I want to be ready to meet Jesus when he comes. Listen as he goes on. He says, if anything stands between you and God... Take care of it now. Don't expect to do so when tragedy strikes. Now is the time to get rid of anything standing between you and your Father. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. And as I read that, I thought, man, what a message. What a message. And you know, friends, I believe that if Jesus was here today, that he would tell stories about planes that crash. He would tell stories about people who weren't ready. Because, how do I know that? Because that's what he did when he was here. That's what he did. You remember in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gives his sermon regarding the signs, things that are going to take place on our earth, telling us how close we are to his return. Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Jesus tells the signs. And then after he's outlined all the signs, by the way, When Jesus outlines the signs of his coming, as he's giving the the details of things that are going to take place that will tell us how close we are to the coming of Jesus. Now he says, no man knows the day or the hour. No one knows the exact time when he's going to return except the Father himself. But, he says, I'm going to give you some signs. And when you see these signs being fulfilled, then you can know for sure that my coming is near. And he outlines them there in chapter 24 of of Matthew and on into chapter 25. And my friends, five times 
as He's giving these signs, as He's sending a message to you and to me five times, He pleads with His followers to watch and be ready. Because as such a, in such a time as you think not, the Son of Man's going to come. So he says, be ready always. Watch and pray. Make sure that you are ready. You know why, friends? Because you and I have no guarantee of tomorrow. Isn't that right? And that's why Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. Watch and pray. Make sure that you are ready to meet your God. And you know, after going through all these signs, then he tells a story. Matthew chapter 25, 1 to 13, what story is that? He tells a story of ten young women. The story of the ten virgins. What a wonderful story. There they are. They receive an invitation to attend what? To attend a wedding. They all not just received the invitation, but what did they do? They accepted it. They received it and they accepted it. You see, friends, these were young women who were waiting for the bridegroom to come. Jesus is sharing something so valuable with us. He said, here they are. They've accepted the invitation. They've accepted Jesus as their saviour. They are now waiting for the bridegroom to come. They are waiting for Jesus to return. Isn't that right? Ten of them. And there they are. But they grow weary because the bridegroom seems to be taking more time than he should. Where are you? And what happens to them? What do they do? They fall asleep. How many fell asleep? How many fell asleep? Let's get our Bibles out. (laughs) Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 1. Friends, this is a message for us. This is for us. Jesus told this story for your benefit and for mine. Those of us sitting right here in the heart of Sydney this afternoon, it's a story for us. It's about us. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps. What does the lamp signify? What does the lamp represent? The light, the light, all right, they had the light. They took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Verse 2, now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps 
and took no what? Took no oil. What does the oil represent? Holy Spirit. They took no oil. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, so the bridegroom was, where is he? Where is he? Why hasn't he come? They get impatient. Do you notice? Verse 5. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they how many? They all slumbered and slept. Not just five. All of them. The wise and the foolish. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Friends, these are all Christians. They've all accepted the invitation. They've accepted Jesus as their Savior. They have accepted the invitation. They are going to the wedding. They are going to the wedding. They are waiting for the bridegroom. They are waiting for Jesus to come. But they weren't ready. Half of them were not ready. Half of them were not ready. Notice verse 9. But the wise answered saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, isn't it interesting? They went to buy. And while they were worried about buying and selling, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were what? Ready. Now, friends, get the scene here. Jesus has just outlined the signs of his coming. Be ready, he says, five times. He exhorts those who hear his sermon. Be ready. Be ready. Five times. Be ready. Now, those who were ready, notice it again, but, uh, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. The door was shut. That's what Jesus said. The door was shut. Now, let's, what ha- let's notice what happens to those who were not ready. Notice there in verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. So they are believers. They recognize him as their Lord. They call out to him. Lord, Lord, let us in. Open to us. But he answered and said assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. You see, friends, being a Christian 
means being a Christian every day. What prepares you for the coming of Jesus? Your acceptance of Jesus as your Lord and Savior and having a real, living, live relationship with Him. Isn't that right? And friends, that's what it means to be ready. To know Jesus as your friend. To spend time with Him like you do your friends every day. When we see Jesus coming, it's no use saying then, hey, I want to be your friend. Jesus is saying, now is the time to establish our relationship with Jesus. Accept Him as our Savior. Commit our lives to Him. Follow Him. Establish a relationship with Him. How do we establish a relationship with Jesus? Let me tell you, friends. We establish a relationship with the Lord in the same way we establish any other relationship. Think for a moment who your closest friend is. The people that mean most to you. I guarantee you that they are people you invest time in. Isn't that right? The people who are closest to you are not close to you by chance. They are not close to you because you live next door to them. They are close to you because you spend time with them. Isn't that right? And my friends, the same is true of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We strengthen our relationship, we develop our relationship with Jesus by spending time with Him. How do we do that? How does the Lord communicate with us? Through His Word, the Bible. My friend, how much time are you spending every day with the Lord, reading His Word? Oh, we're busy. I know we're busy. And we're busy doing good things. You know, friends, that's the devil's biggest lie and temptation. To become so busy. He wants us to become so Yeah, busy, busy, busy that we don't have time to read our Bible. Two minutes, five minutes a day. How do we communicate with the Lord? Through prayer. Friends, how much time are we spending every day in prayer? How much time are we spending in prayer? Is it just a few sentences before we fall asleep at night? I've been so busy, Lord. Thank you for the day. See you tomorrow. (laughs) Friends, the Lord is calling upon us. He's inviting us. He wants us to attend the wedding. We are responding. That's why we are here. But are we ready? Are we ready? Do we think there is going to be a better time, a more convenient time for us to be ready? Friends, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Nowhere in all of Scripture does it say, wait until tomorrow. It says, now, today is the day of salvation. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, let us in. Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, 
I don't know you. I don't know you. How much time have you read my word? How much time have you spent reading my word? How much time have you spent speaking to me in prayer? I don't know you. I can't open the door to you. I don't know you. You call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do as I say. You don't spend time with me. I don't know you. Notice how he finishes in verse 13. Watch therefore. You notice again? Watch therefore. Be ready, he's saying in verse, in verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You know, friends, when I was growing up, I always used to wonder, why doesn't the Lord tell us when he's coming? Do you know why, friends? Because we wouldn't be ready. He wants us to be ready every day. He wants us to spend time with him every day. If we knew that he was coming 15 years from now, what then? I've got plenty of time. Hey, what's the rush, man? Today is the day of salvation. Jesus knows we have no guarantee of tomorrow. And that's why he says, be ready. Be ready now. That's the message of the story that Jesus told. And my friends, there's a reason why he told us this story, the story to be ready. Emphasizing the importance of being ready. Norman Williams, this is what he said at the close of his story. I credit my survival to three things. And he explains how it happened. Prayer, faith and the Bible. And you know what he says? He says to stand on the Word of God, you have to know what the Word of God says. You know, we say, oh, when the time of trouble comes, oh, I'll get my Bible and I'll hike up into the mountains, I'll find a little, I'll find a little cave. Listen, friends, forget the cave. Just remember Jesus and remember Him now. To stand on the Word of God, you have to know what the Word of God says. Isn't that right? Oh, in the time of trouble, I'll have the Word of God with me. Friends, you've got it with you now. Now's the time to be reading it. Now's the time for us to be studying the Word of God. There is no time to get out your Bible and think in the time of trouble when tragedy strikes. Now, where's that verse that I used to hear down at Fountain in the City? Where is that verse? Not that you must memorize the Bible, but you surely must spend time with it. Those of you who are attending the fast class, you are doing yourself the greatest favor you possibly can. You are being ready. No use saying, oh, well, I'll start next year. Now's the time. Now's the time. This is what he goes on to say. You will have or have had your own personal jet crash. Isn't that true, friends? Each one of us are facing our own challenges, our own jet crash. It can take many forms, financial or spiritual, grief or bereavement, 
I don't know what's going in in your, on, on in your life at the moment, but friend, let me tell you this. He knows. He knows. And you might be experiencing or facing a jet crash right now. He knows and he'll get you through it. He will see you through your personal jet crash. But I also know that the God who brought me through mine will bring you through yours because he loves you as much as he loves me. Regardless of your jet crash, God stands ready to deliver you if you will stand upon his word. If you will know him as your friend, he will see you through. My friend, it doesn't matter what it is. And we are all going to face hardship in this life. We are all going to face face our challenges. We are all going to face our jet crash. How to survive a jet crash? Stand on the word of God. Get to know Jesus now as your friend. My friend, don't wait until the time of trouble comes. Don't wait for this or that. Do it now. Start now. Make a commitment that you are going to know Jesus as your personal friend. It's the only way to survive. It's my prayer that each and every one of us here will know Jesus as our friend so that when he does come, as King of kings and Lord of lords, we will be able to look up and say, that's my friend. That is my friend. I've been waiting for him. He promised he'd come. He promised he'd come. And look, lo, behold, here he comes. We have this hope. The hope of a soon coming Saviour. My friends, he's coming soon. And it's my prayer that each and every one of us here will be found ready and waiting to meet him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and that you care for us. And we thank you that you're coming soon to get us. Lord, let us take nothing for granted. We need to know you and we need to know you now as our personal friend, as our our saviour. And Father, I ask your blessing upon each person sitting here Dear Lord, we come from different backgrounds, but we have this in common. We're all human. And being human, Lord, brings its own challenges. And Lord, I know that there are some here who are experiencing their own personal jet crash right now. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that right at this moment, you will encircle them with your love. You will strengthen them. You will encourage them. You will empower them. Be with each of us bow before you here today. And Lord, grant us the privilege of being ready to meet you when you come. Grant us the privilege of spending eternity with you. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This message was made available by Fountain in the City. For more resources like this, visit fountaininthecity.com.au.
Sometimes it seems I feel so well We'll keep on going on And I can get so comfortable And make this place my home Remind me, Lord, that there is more Than just the things I see To fix my eyes on Jesus It's time to get ready. Today is all that we have. We can see the signs are happening, just as the Bible says. So don't get caught unaware. Now is the time to prepare. God is calling me and calling you to live. Him today to put aside distractions and the things that lead us away to really read our Bibles and devote ourselves to prayer to know our dear friend Jesus for He is always there It's time to get ready See the signs are happening Just as the Bible says So don't get caught unaware Now is the time to From Carly Fletcher's album, No More Goodbyes, that was It's Time to Get Ready, featuring Malvinas Penland. Up next, Marleta Fong will be singing, Oh, I Want to Know You More. Thank you. 
you enjoy the short presentation of how God led His people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. When Jay and Andrews arrived in England in 1874 on his way to Switzerland, he didn't find any Adventist converts. There was one Adventist English family, but they had emigrated before he arrived. In 1878, English-born William Ings, who himself had emigrated to America, arrived here in Southampton for a two-week stay to visit his relatives and also to evangelize. He passed out some literature while he was here and was able to convince two people to keep the Sabbath. His next visit in 1878 would prove more fruitful, and in May of that year, they sent a request to the General Conference to send a minister over. In June of that year, the General Conference voted to send the experienced pioneer and administrator, J.N. Loughborough. 
Southampton was one of the cities that the Mayflower left from on its way to America, and it would prove the birthplace of the Adventist church here in Britain. Jay and Loughborough found the work here both different and more difficult than in America. He held a series of meetings in an area near where the present Seventh-day Adventist church is, and his opening crowd of 150 dwindled quickly. After 255 meetings in December of 1879, he did not have a single baptism, though he did have a Sabbath school with 17 members. The work was hard and the challenges were multiple, but they pressed on. In January of 1880, the newly formed Tract and Missionary Society began sending signs of the times to libraries and interested people. By February of that year, 13 people were baptized in Southampton, and by 1883, the first Adventist church was formed in Britain with 19 founding members. By the end of 1883, there were 65 members in Britain, and by 1887, there were 122. The headquarters of the church in Britain with the staff and the printing press would move to Grimsby, a house there on the North Sea coast. And by 1884, two churches would be formed in Grimsby and Ulcerby. This building behind me is the first Seventh-day Adventist built and owned church in the British Isles and was dedicated in 1889. Essen Haskell would come over and take over the leadership of the church in Britain and move the headquarters from the relative obscurity of Grimsby down to London. In London, using a house as their base, they began to train local people and continued with aggressive literature evangelism. In June of that year, they baptized nearly 20 people. Judson Washburn would further develop the evangelistic work in England with an emphasis on literature evangelism, Christ-centered preaching, and musical singing groups. He held audiences of up to 1,000 people and in the town of Bath, baptized nearly 80 people. In 1902, the British Union was formed with three missions and two conferences, a newly formed college and a health food factory. In 1907, the three institutions, along with the British Union headquarters, were relocated to the 25-hectare Stambra Park, which still serves as the headquarters of the British Union to this day. Even though church membership increased by 20% through the war, World War I would prove a huge test to the young church as the challenge of conscription was faced. Some were able to serve as conscientious objectors, but others were less fortunate and were imprisoned and tortured for refusing to compromise their faith. This memorial stands here as a testament to their faith under fire and in recognition of the sacrifice that they and their families made. Even though the work progressed relatively slowly here in Britain with quite a few challenges early on, workers from the British Union and graduates from Newball College here would prove quite influential in world missions, serving as missionaries in Africa and India amongst other places. Through dedication and commitment, the work moved on.
As in other parts of the world, there has never been a glory era of evangelism. But the commission is to go into all the world, no matter how easy or hard the work may be. If you are living and working for Christ today in an area and you are not getting the success that you hoped or dreamed of, then I want to encourage you to stay faithful at your duty. For God rewards us not according to our seeming success, but according to the spirit in which the work is done. To view more episodes in this series, visit lineagejourney.com. the two-tip lady who loves to help make your life more simple. Have you ever actually watched how a mushroom appears? Do you know there are telltale signs that a juicy mushroom is about to spring up out of the ground? I didn't until very recently. We often see them when walking on juicy damp grass after rain, but I've never noticed a mushroom emerge in the hard dry dirt until the other day. This happened right outside our caravan, in the unappealing-looking sun-baked dirt. I heard a voice calling me, someone who loves to eat mushrooms and watches for the telltale signs in the dirt that I'd never known to even watch for. Someone who wanted to share their delight with me. Well, he showed me. First, a bubble appears in the dirt. Then it looks like the dirt forms a small lid, and it looks like... The dirt lid is a cover over something special underneath. And it jolly well is. A gentle prodding and scraping of the dirt reveals a fully formed mushroom underneath. Not a toadstool, no, a real dinky dye mushroom. I can hardly believe how it happens. So why is this so surprising to me? I'd never really thought about it. Mushrooms just, well, just appear, don't they? But if I had thought about it, I guess I could have imagined that a tiny shoot would appear, then it would develop into something bigger and finally grow above the surface, somehow looking like a mushroom. And my imagination would have been all wrong. But the fascinating thing to me is that these mushrooms are fully formed underneath the surface of the ground. Wow! Have you ever actually wondered how a thought surfaces? Yes, just a simple thought. A thought that actually grows into reality? Well, the good book says in Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. I remember a young friend, oh, many years ago, writing in my old-fashioned autograph book, Your path lies before you, like a path of untrodden snow. Be careful how you tread it, Marilyn, for every mark will show. Perhaps I could re-paraphrase it today and I could say, Thoughts deep in your heart are like mushrooms ready to grow. So be careful what you think, Marilyn, for every thought will show. So my two tips today are simple and will simplify your life if you take action. Tip number one, watch for telltale signs of a thought that's about to break through the surface. This is how David watched. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Be observant. 
because thoughts have a tendency to manifest themselves as a physical reality. I can vouch for that. Look carefully into your heart and see if your thoughts and then the outgrowth of those thoughts actually will bring delight to others. Listen for God's voice alerting you to signs that a thought has been growing and is about to spring up. So what was it? Tip number one, watch for telltale signs of a thought that's about to break through. Tip number two, be, another word, only two words, be patient. James tells us in James 5.7 to be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. When life places you in a hard and dry place, choose to be patient because a thought that's been quietly tucked away deep in your mind may have been silently growing into maturity beneath the surface for a long time and perhaps the dry hard conditions of your life have been just what was needed to make those thoughts mature and spring into life. So watch for telltale signs of a thought that's about to break through and be patient while you think and wait. That's it today from the two-tip lady who loves to help make your life more simple. It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.